So we have been blessed and encouraged. Uh, sometimes you start a process and, and you don't know how things are going to go. There are many things that I'm going to say to you guys probably over this next year about the process that we've had for finding an associate pastor. But I want to I let you know one of the aspects that has probably encouraged me most. Um, during the past probably three years of COVID and racial injustice and all types of things, as, as my voice has been a bit louder and more prominent, um, I've, had, I've received different challenges. I've had some people say, all you do is preach Jesus, Pastor. You never talk about racial issues, and they got mad at me. I had some people say, all you do is talk about race, and you never talk about Jesus, and they got mad at me. So I was, there was times where I felt like, Lord, what is the rhythm here? What's going on? But you all have continued to be faithful. You all have continued to be a great encouragement, and you all have continued to reflect Christ. So as we're doing this associate pastor hiring thing, we're like, okay, this is who we are. We don't have to sell who we are. We don't have to try to market who we are. This is who we are. You're going to love MacAv for who we are. And one of the things I've been greatly encouraged by Kevin and Monica is from day one, they've been excited about who we are as a body. And that's been really refreshing. It's been really encouraging. And so we are excited to have you all joining our team. Uh, excited to grow and get closer as families because we do life as families. Yes, you will take my taste my burnt barbecue at some point. It's coming. But we're excited for this body of believers to uh, to walk with you guys and welcome you on. Yeah, Edith, I got you. You'll back me up. I know, I know. <laughs> but at this point, I want to have you come forward and pray for you as you encourage the saints in God's word today. Amen. Amen. Lord, would you guide our brother, allow him to remember making much of you is what he is called to do. But you've also done a work in his life where now, Lord, he preaches about you because of what it says in your word, but he knows it firsthand because of what you've done in his heart and in his life. So let all of that come forth as he encourages the saints. We're grateful that he's here. Him and his wife and beautiful baby are here. And we want your name to be made much of. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there we go. How are y'all doing today? Oh, come on. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen? Amen. You didn't think I was going to be quiet, did you? <laughs> well, it is, I, I can't stress it more. My wife, Monica, and my little baby, Evie Rose, are so excited to be with you. We've been worshiping in our living room. We've been so excited to be with you, live streaming, but like nothing uh, compares to being here with you, right? Because of the proximity of family, amen? So I, I can't wait uh, if you would, meet me in Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's going to be 839, page 839 in your pew Bible. Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 35 through 41. 
And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read our text, and, and then we're going to dive in. But as you turn there, realize that Jesus has just been teaching all day. Like the cat has been in a boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, right? And at the end of the day, that's where we find ourselves, okay, in the evening. So let me start there, verse 35, read all the way through. We'll pray and we'll dive in. Does that sound good? All right, all right. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we thank you so much for your holy, living, and active word that is sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. God, would you take that word even in my own heart, and do that among us right now. Speak to us that we may hear you. And Lord, would you proclaim your word through me, your preacher. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I have made some bad decisions. I was 17 years old growing up in the Chicagoland area, and before you knew it, I got involved with the wrong crowd, and I started running the streets. 17 years old, I was running around with gangs, and before you know it, I started to sell a little dope. That's okay to say here, right? Okay, I'm in Christ now, all right? <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, I began to sell drugs and, and try to run the streets, and you know, growing up as a, a white boy running around in the hood, like, you had to you had to sell yourself a little bit more. So you had to take it an extra mile, right? So I set these guys up in a drug deal. I said, I'm going to take their money. I'm going to split it three ways with my partners, right? So they're cool with that. So we set these guys up, take their money, and we make off clean. In Memphis, they call that hitting a lick. I don't know what they call that in the D yet, but I'm sure I'll find out. But... I thought I had it all. About two weeks later, I pull up in my driveway. 
I get out of my car. It's about three in the morning. I'm, I'm high. I'm drunk. I get out of the car. I'm, I'm feeling a little woozy. I'm walking to the door, and two guys approach me in all black and beat me senseless. They're beating my head off the ground. Sure, I fought back. I threw a few licks, right? But I got to a point of exhaustion, and they slammed me on the ground, and they began to beat my head off the ground continuously, and to the point where I thought I was losing consciousness. But you know what I remembered? I remember my mom telling me at a young age, if you ever need anything, you can pray. You can cry out to God. So I began to cry out to God. Just in the quiet of my heart, as this is happening, head being beat off the ground, I began to cry out to God, God, if you're real, don't let me die tonight. And I'm still here. That was the beginning of a journey. For me, I ended up in a parking lot in Edmond, Oklahoma. I'm going to college at this point, and I failed to tell you, I grew up playing hockey. Quit my dream to be a professional hockey player when I was running the streets in high school, and somehow, grace of God, I know that now, ended up in this grocery store parking lot. I also ended up in college I got a 10 on my ACT score. You know why? Because I signed my name, did a little bit, and left. Because I didn't think, I thought it was useless. Don't throw away your education, especially you kids here. I made it to college. I'm in this grocery store parking lot, and my college hockey chaplain leads me to faith in King Jesus. And I've never been the same since. So excuse me if I get a little bit excited, right? I share that with you because it's a story of chaos, evil, but the beauty of redemption. And I want you to get to know me a little bit. But it's also fitting that this chaos, this evil, this redemption is right here in our text. Like, this could be like a mini-scripture of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We see it right here. You see, Jesus is, uh, uh, in this text, reveals to us his divine identity by demonstrating his sovereign power and authority over chaos and evil. He demonstrates it over creation, his creation, and the chaos and evil within his creation that entered into it. We are not sure how that all happened, right? We have some clues. But chaos and evil are, pres- are present post-Genesis 3. And you see, what we need more than anything, brothers and sisters, is to be sobered to the reality of it. That it's, it's here. It's present. It's real. But we also need to see afresh the one who is victorious over it. And his name is Creator. His name is Redeemer. His name is Jesus. And that's who we're going to spend some time with here. Can we do that? I want to share just, uh, I want to share those two truths with you the reality of chaos and evil. 
and Jesus, the creator and redeemer. And the goal would be that we all have a fresh illumination of this king. Not just some facts about him, God. I want you to experience him. To experience his presence and his power with you in the boat called life. When the waves are crashing over, right? When they're crashing over personally for you. When they're crashing over the boat trying to devour your family. Trying to devour uh, our community, our beloved community, and trying to devour our society, and ultimately trying to devour our world, his world. So, I'm a little excited, as you can tell, but the first thing I want you to see is that chaos and evil are a continuous threat to the good creation. And we see that in verses 35 through 38. You see, like I said, Jesus has been teaching all day. Like the dude has been on the boat, on the shore, so he don't get smashed by the crowd, right? And he's been teaching, and he did this sort of thing a lot, and Mark likes to show us. You'll notice in a lot of uh, Mark, you'll constantly see this sea theme. Jesus is teaching on the sea. Oh, Jesus is on this side of the sea. Then he goes to this side of the sea, and bing, bang, boom, healing this folk. Uh, casting this demon out, right? Here in this text, he's just been teaching all day, and he says, all right, boys, let's, let's pack it up, let's go. So they begin to cross to the other side, and bam, like a miniature tsunami breaks out, and, and the waves start crashing over the boat, right? So that the boat was filling up, we're told, to capacity, like the thing was about to capsize, like completely go under. And where is Jesus? <laughs> Sleeping in the back of the boat. <laughs> you want to know what the Son of God looks like when he comes here? And all chaos and evil is breaking out? He's asleep on the back of the boat because <laughs> he's over it. But I want you to know a little bit more about the sea because it's a whole lot deeper than just a vacation. You see, the sea, let me just get a little biblical with you. The sea, we start in Genesis 1, right? And we have the sea. God creates the sea. And the sea is a beautiful part of God's creation. But then we get to the flood, right? And the sea becomes scary. The sea starts going crazy, right? And it looks as if God is grabbing the sea by the reins, and he uses it to judge the entire pagan world. But that same sea, he rescues Noah and his family and the floating zoo across the sea, on top of the sea, right? The sea was judgment for one folk, salvation for another. Then we get to the shore of the Red Sea. And the, Egypt, the uh, Egyptians are fast on the tails of the Israelites, right? The Israelites are on the edge of the sea, and they're, they're panicking. And God says to the sea, back up. 
and the sea becomes like walls. And they, they walk through. <laughs> Could you imagine? You think they were just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No, they were like, oh, shoot. What is going on here, right? You see, what we learn is that the sea that is a part of God's good creation can even become a force of energy, chaos, that even threatens God's creation. And that God at times could even use as an instrument of judgment. But then we get to this confusing text in a lot of ways, but Daniel 7. And four monsters, Daniel's shown a vision, a vision pop out of the sea. And these four monsters represent four pagan kingdoms. Idolatrous, oppressive empires. And they threaten to destroy God's people. Before the exile and after and on into Jesus' day. So here we are, all Hades is breaking out on the sea. And please know that the ancient Israelites were not seafaring people for the most part. But friends, they knew the presence, the reality of chaos and evil. You see, for them, this was no just body of water. This represented to them the dark, fearsome powers of chaos and evil in every form. So there's a whole lot more about the sea, right? You see, notice now with that framework in mind, the two different, the contrast between Jesus' actions towards the sea and the disciples. Jesus, taking a nap. The disciples panicking, right? But why could Jesus sleep? Well, there's a whole lot more that I could say, but sleeping, listen up now, sleeping amid present chaos and evil is a sign of trust and confidence. You see, we see in the Son of God one who trusts his heavenly father as a human being, okay? Yes, deity, but as a human being, deity wrapped in human flesh. He trusted God. He trusted his heavenly father's providence. He also, we see, was God in the flesh, exercising his confidence in his own sovereign power and authority over his creation, and over the chaos and evil within it that threatens it, even to the point of threatening image bearers like you and me. You see, what about the disciples, though? What about the Roman Christians to whom Mark originally wrote his gospel, who are under Roman oppression, okay? and are under the persecution of Nero. You think they were a little wobbly? You think they were shaking? I think so. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be freaking out. You freak out a little bit when things go wrong? Out of nowhere, you get that phone call, 
Out of nowhere, you're driving down the street, boom, the tire goes flat. You're in the middle of nowhere, maybe. Maybe you're on the highway. Maybe you're in the hood. I mean, wherever you are, something crazy happens. You get that phone call. Your brother dies. Your sister is sick in the hospital. I mean, let your imaginations run for, for a minute. This was the disciples. They were panicking, and they were even a little bit rude because that's the sign in the midst of chaos and evil of immature faith. And guess what? Just because I'm a pastor or, you know, going to be an associate pastor doesn't mean I'm exempt from it. I'm right there with you, brothers and sisters, in the pew, in the boat, when the waves are crashing over, and you're panicking, and you're rude, you're even a bit rude to your friends, your family, and even the audacity to shake your finger at God, right? God, do you even, look at the disciples, do you even care, Jesus? I mean, you're sleeping in a time like this? I mean, like, wake up, right? You see me? Do you not care about me? You ever felt like that? Oh, I'm the only one? Come on, don't leave me hanging now. Okay. You see, here's the thing. Y'all ever heard the, the terminology of worldview? Worldview? This fear for the disciples and no doubt the Roman Christians and, and you and I, Mac Avenue, is rooted in faulty worldview. The lenses by which we view the world. You see, we don't have time to go into it all, but let me just get to the point. For us, Western Christians, we grow up not, not quite comprehending the, the, the uh, veracity of how much we are intoxicated by the myth of progress. This is a myth that came into the Western world in the Enlightenment. Maybe we'll talk about that someday, but I just want to put that there for you. And it was this myth that the world is basically good. Evil's being eradicated more and more, day by day. Our politicians are doing a great job, right? Our police officers are killing it, right? And day by day, the world's becoming a better place so that sooner or later, we'll be like a utopia, right? We'll have heaven on earth, right? Not because of the resurrection of King Jesus, but because of the advancements of human reason. You see, we don't quite understand how much we've been intoxicated by this myth. And so here's how it plays out. Let me just get practical. It plays out like this. We ignore evil until it smacks us right in the face. And by the way, this is every socioeconomic location. Folks that are 
in society that we could say are grouped into what we would say are the oppressed and even the oppressor. For some reason, no matter what suffering has hit the world, we all in, are intoxicated to varying degrees by this myth so that when we are in the midst of chaos and evil, we ignore it until it smacks us in the face. And then when it does, we're surprised by it. And then we respond to it in all kinds of unhealthy and immature ways. You see, let me put it in movie terminology. You know how we view movies? We want to entertain, we want them to entertain us, right? So we got no problem tossing on a, a, a movie of a, a virus outbreak, right? A mass virus outbreak until that virus comes up out of the TV in the form of COVID-19 and smacks our families, kills our loved ones, our dear brother, right here in our congregation. We got no problem tossing on a movie about wokeness, right? Seeing the systemic injustice and, and we all, yeah, like, you know, God is just and everything. But then we're shocked when we're flooded with social media videos of black bodies being brutalized in our streets by those that swore to protect and serve. We will watch war movies, even, until Russia unjustly bombs Ukraine. And then we realize war is right here. But I'll just get a little more personal. Brothers and sisters, these last two months, for my wife and I have been crazy. Like I told somebody the other day, Mac Avenue, this is when I started interviewing, is both my <laughs> greatest joy and it's also been somewhat my greatest sorrow. Y'all know what I mean by that, y'all. I love you guys, but <laughs> the way God has shown me that this is the place I'm supposed to be and the way the enemy has tried to harass us, I can't make it up. Three years, my wife and I struggled with infertility. We have a beautiful baby. We make it into the labor room, and we're enjoying this moment, right? Nothing could go wrong. And bam, my wife has to be rushed in for an emergency C-section. She almost flatlines in the labor room, and my baby girl's heart rate dropped down to the point we thought we were going to lose her. We go from that to making it home. A storm hit Memphis, and a tree fell through our house and came into our laundry room while my wife was only one week with the baby. She then gets mastitis, not once, not twice, but three times. Chills from head to toe. Then my catalytic converter, check this out now. This will be a, 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 a Detroit thing for you. 
gets stolen not once, but twice. And one of the times was in a mechanic shop. Come on, y'all, you can't make it up. And then, you think it's done? We put our house on the market. We got two days to knock it out before we get here. And my XL bully, Mac, like the dude is my hobby, okay? Like love him. He's a protector of our house. He's, he's, he's strength wrapped in beauty and, and patience, but loyalty don't come at my house. And Satan comes at my dog and my dog tears his ACL and had to get rushed in for surgery. Friends, I can go on and on. Then I, lost my, I left my suit bag, my, my poppin' suit, in the airport in Memphis. Now, some people would think, God, what are you telling me? But the eyes of faith, for some reason, by the Holy Spirit, showed me this looks a lot like the cross. Is that victory? Okay, Jesus died. He's bloodied. He's beaten. He's done. But we won? Like, whoa. And I will, I will share all the ways God came in. But for now, to bang this home, can you identify? When chaos and evil hits your life, your family, our community, our society, our world, can you identify? Oh man, I'm, I'm a little perplexed. I don't even have words. I'm surprised. I'm shocked like that. Like, really? Like, there's, like, are you serious? War? Cancer? COVID? Car wrecks? Chaos and evil are real, they're present, and they're threatening God's creation. Not the least of which, you and me. So that's the first thing I want you to take in, and I want to end with this point. Chaos and evil are a continuous threat to God's creation, but they're no match for the good creator. Jesus gets up from his nap, and he tells the wind and the sea, back up, be quiet, and stay quiet. In other words, shh, be muzzled. The language, I mean, I wish we could nerd it out and look at the Greek and all of that, but it's literally like he's speaking to a little puppy dog. Sit over there, Rufus. Knock it off, Duchess. Those are just the names that came. <laughs> Let me find out you named your dog Duchess, and we're going to have a problem, for real. Leon, I'm going to be hitting you up. Hey, man, you brought me here. Like, what's up? Dogs at Duchess. No. But friends, he demonstrates his power and authority over the wind and the sea and every bit of chaos and evil. But he does it in the language. He does it when he talks to the unclean spirits and he tells them, get out. Be healed. You know why? 
Because he's not just talking. He's not just Lord over creation. He's Lord over even the chaos and evil within it. And he's going to destroy it utterly. And so he demonstrates that now because he's going to demonstrate that at the cross. But forgive me, I don't want to go there yet, but I will. Because there's an ultimate store heading. It's, it's mounting up for Jesus. And he wants to do this mini storm stilling because he's going to enter into the eye of it soon. But he does this, and Mark puts it here, because throughout the Old Testament, only Yahweh does that. Only Yahweh has authority over the wind and the sea and, and, and over the chaos and evil that it symbolizes. And so Mark is saying, hey guys, check this out. Jesus is doing that. And you know what that means? Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the one that parted the Red Sea. He is the one that, that said, march around Jericho. He's the one that said... I am. You see, there's a problem though. Because we need a fresh picture of Jesus, a fresh experience of Him and all of His power and presence as God in the flesh. But you know what prevents us? Our cowardice. Notice that cowardice is the enemy to faith. Look at the questions that he asks his disciples in verse 40. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not recognize that the God of Israel is active in and through me? Now, we're like asking the disciples that, but like, come on, y'all. We're on this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, this side of the Pentecost, and we do that. And he's with us in the boat. He's in the hospital room. He's, in, he's, he's, he's there with you when you get that phone call. He's there when, when that brother in Memphis for me, the kids loved young Doff. He was shot three to five minutes from my house and murdered. And that was his neighborhood. And we say, oh, yeah, you know, he was just filthy. He was, he was multiplying all of this evil into kids. Those were, that was the only role model they had. And so I said, hey, let's, let's, let's get to this side. He was an image bearer. An image bearer of God, taken. Friends, there's chaos, there's evil, and sometimes that type of thing even happens right here in the D in our backyard. And you know, we're perplexed. War? COVID? Like Ahmaud Aubrey? Brianna Taylor? Like, when's it going to stop? 
But no matter what happens, we're still ignoring it till it hits us right in the face. We're surprised when it does. And then we react in all kinds of immature ways. As if we don't know the God who came down, took on human flesh, and dwells with us right here, brothers and sisters, in the boat called life. I got to end, but here's how Jesus breaks through that for us. There's good news because notice he doesn't rebuke the disciples' lack of faith. Just If I could just have a little more faith. You ever say that? Throw that out. That's bad theology. He says, why are you still afraid? And that actually, behind that, if you look at the original language, that's actually the rebuke. I'm sorry, he said, why are you afraid? And what he's saying is, it is your cowardice that I'm rebuking. Because that's what's preventing the open door to faith. You see, And this is when it happens. It happens when our eyes are so fixed on the chaos and evil around us, perplexed, that Jesus becomes smaller. Jesus gets shrunken down into a good teacher maybe, even a guy who did a lot of miracles in history, but nothing for me when I'm in the middle of this mess. He's irrelevant. He's unreliable. But watch what he does here. Verse 41. He breaks through. Jesus' presence and liberating power produces a fear that opens the door of faith. Notice verse 41. The translation I've been looking at says, terrified. But it's literally saying, fearing a great fear. So like the original, the translators, they didn't want to put that in there because that's not how we read, right? But fearing a great fear, they began to ask each other continuously, who is this man? I want that question to sink in this morning. Who is this man? Kids? Parents? Adults? Brothers and sisters? Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, we have a slight advantage, but you'd think we wouldn't. We identify with the Roman Christians who were reading this after the cross and the resurrection. So they know who wins. We know who won. But here's the thing. The disciples would come to understand the answer to that question more and more after the death and resurrection of Christ. But friends, we see the ultimate storm. That all evil colluded together. The religious elite, Rome, even even Jesus' disciples, you and me, crucify him. And the demonic forces of evil got together and they put Jesus on the cross and they thought he lost. But friends, when Jesus entered the eye of the storm, the the storm above storms, he went alone. 
and he was engulfed. He was drowned. He drank the cup of divine fury. He took evil's best. But friends, right there, do you know what happened? God did his best when evil was doing its best. And it was hard to tell for the disciples, right? They're walking down the road and Luke, man, we lost. We thought he was going to redeem Israel, right? Oh, but friends, after the resurrection, when Jesus makes it through the storm, right, of death and evil and sin, to the other side, raised from the dead, won the victory. And why does Mark say, see, throughout his gospel? Because he wants us to know that Jesus is bringing a new exodus. He's won the victory, guys. And friends, he's winning the victory in your life. But you have to have eyes of faith to see because, let me close with this. And then I'm going to be out your way. Every preacher says that, right? Uh, I can't leave without landing here. Infertility. Let me give you an example. Let me show you what it looks like when fresh experiences of Jesus' victory on Calvary come in the present. Fresh implementations of his victory every time he shows up in your life say, victory! Because that's what he's doing. It's not he did this over here and then we just got to wait to go to heaven. No, there's fresh applications all over the place. You must have the eyes of faith to see. Friends, infertility was swarming our house. And we got pregnant. Victory. Friends, evil, chaos, tried to take my baby girl and my wife but she was just cooing on the front row. Victory. Friends, a tree fell through our house, came into our laundry room. How are you going to sell your house now? Guess what? He provided. Guess what? The roof got fixed the day our behinds got on a plane to come here, and our house was on the market the, the next Thursday. Mastitis three times, but she was healed. Two catalytic converters, gone. Car is clunked. Our other car, we were on the way to go to that car, died on the side of the road. And we thought, how now, how, what are we going to do now? Guess what? God gave us a trade-in for both of the cars, and we'll be driving a, a new SUV here to Detroit with four-wheel drive, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes you have to have the eyes of faith to see that the cross looked like Jesus died. It looked like everything was done, but three days later, he rose victorious. And friends, he is coming back to defeat sin and death and the devil ultimately. And he is going to create a new creation that has already begun and will be consummated. Friends, chaos and evil are real, they're present, but they're no match for King Jesus. They're no match. Let me just pray really quick. 
Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are the sovereign storm stiller, chaos and evil destroyer. And we need you with us in the boat when the storms of life are destroying us. But God, thank you that you are faithful and you give us eyes of faith to see that there's beauty behind the old rugged cross, the ultimate storm that you sent your son to defeat. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.